Welcome, you are listening to Unlocking the Truth, the podcast channel by Precept Ministries Canada. Come discover God's truth for yourself by studying His Word and deepen a personal transformational relationship with God. This series called In Faith Alone will get you deep into the Book of Romans. Dig deeper by following along with the Bible study, Experiencing the Power of Life-Changing Faith, the new inductive study series on Romans, available at preceptministries.ca. Now here is Mark Sheldrake with Unlocking the Truth. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Unlocking the Truth podcast. Mark Sheldrake here, National Director of Precept Ministries in Canada. This podcast, of course, is a ministry of Precept Ministries in Canada, and we're so thankful that you are joining in with us as we work through the Book of Romans. We're heading into the second segment of our podcast, which is the segment that will focus on sanctification by faith. So we have come out of segment one, which is the problem of sin and the solution of Jesus. And so this segment two will be five episodes that will take us to uh, sometime in June. And then we will break for the summer and pick up segments three and four in September. And that will complete our uh, 16 episodes in Romans. Uh, Looking forward to this segment. Uh, Thank you again for your kind words and encouragement as we continue in this podcast. And and, uh, I am really thankful for uh, those notes that keep coming in to thank you for uh, having this ministry available. Uh, I want to just highlight a couple things that Precept here in Canada is going to be doing uh, in the near future. One is the Cross Canada Tour, happening in September. And we're currently looking for a few locations to host this training, and we'd love to come to your community or your town uh, and do this training where we're going to ask the question, did God really say that? Uh, That is the question that Satan asked in the garden with Eve, and it is still the question that is asked today of God's Word, did God really say that? And we're seeing people take the Word of God uh, and attack it by saying, is that what the Bible really says? And so we're going to go out across Canada and we're going to set the stage for God's Word being inerrant and without error. So I am looking forward to traveling all across Canada in September and showing people that from God's Word, that God, yes, did really say that. We're also going to look at Romans chapter 5 with the problem of sin. And with the problem of sin and the very fact that we were all born with sin credited to our account. And the only solution for removing that sin is Jesus Christ. And then how can we take that information and share it with the world around us that one is questioning whether God's word really is his word. And two, for those who are in the world that of this social justice movement, of this position where I am born as an innocent person, and looking at what God's Word says and how it is so vital for us to be reliant 
on our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we're hoping that we'll be able to do that in every province across Canada. Uh, we still have some locations available, and you can find out more on our website or email us at training at preceptministries.ca. You can also get involved in inductive Bible study training with our online training uh, that's happening uh, regularly. You can find out more about that on our website. So vital for us, folks. And I think that's why you're listening to this podcast is you want to be grounded in God's Word. And that's what we want for you as well. We want you to be grounded in God's Word in the midst of all of this chaos that's happening in the world uh, in the battle for truth. And so we want to be standing on truth, and uh, we can do that when we get into God's Word on a regular basis. Well, with that said, let's pray and seek the Lord and see what God has for us in this week's episode, uh, segment two, uh, looking at Abraham and his example. Father, we do thank you for this time that we have together, that we can uh, use this podcast as a great tool to reach people around the world, that those listening uh, to this episode, wherever they are, in their car, in their home, uh, whatever it may be, that uh, you would just give them the opportunity to hear your very voice through your scriptures. And Lord, that these words uh, that you have, not that I have, Lord, that you have, would be challenging to these folks who are listening, that they would be encouraged and lifted up, but also that your Holy Spirit would be working in them to help them to be more and more like you each and every day. And I pray that for myself as well. Challenge us, Lord. Challenge me to, to glorify you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Back in the day, <clears throat> pardon me, when I was a youth pastor, we did a, uh, a retreat, you know, those weekend retreats. And, and uh, I, I want to say that maybe uh, my generation of youth pastor might have been uh, second generation of youth pastor where, you know, the first generation of youth pastor had that the carte blanche to be able to do whatever they wanted. They could ba really break ground in youth ministry. Nobody really knew what youth ministry was. We just knew that there were a lot of teens in the church and they needed to be uh, encouraged and lifted up. Uh, and so we hired youth pastors to do to do those things. And and youth pastors came into the church, and they hung out with the students, encouraged them, lifted up. And I even had youth pastors in my life that were encouraging them and even helped me determine my call for ministry. So I'm very thankful for uh, our home church having youth pastors. Had my first opportunity to serve in ministry at 18 under our youth pastor. And uh, then he raised me up, and, and here we are, 30-plus uh, years later of uh, ministry, so thankful, thankful for that opportunity. But this uh, second generation, we, we kind of wanted to, to in develop fun with our students to keep them engaged, but we also wanted to really help focus in on that discipleship. Uh, in my children in youth ministry now, it's, it's really different. The fun has really become a back stage thing and when I mean fun I mean like the bowling trips and all those crazy things that we were doing and really the main focus is discipleship of teens which is fantastic that's where it should be and uh, but our group we went to a beach church and we rented this beach church and we stayed on the cement floor in our sleeping bags and our air mattresses but a part of the bible study that we did 
Uh, we did uh, splitting up our youth into two groups, and we started on the Friday. And the whole purpose was that in each of our Bible studies, I would teach them from the Word, but we were going to develop an argument and have a court case. And the court case that we were going to have between the two groups, you'd have, you'd have the um, defendant, which was Paul and his ideas of justification by faith. And then you would have the Jews, which were the prosecutors, and they were the ones that were saying, no, 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 justification is by works. And so then we had a jury of people who would take all the evidence and they would listen to the arguments of the group that was the prosecutor and they would listen to the defendants. And then we had a group of students who were the judge. And so the whole weekend, we spent time going through uh, the book of Romans as well as Galatians and some of Paul's other letters to develop this court case. And then on the Sunday, uh, we started to present this court case and to watch the students come through this and talk to us about this is why justification by faith is so vital to Paul's argument. And you see, this is what Paul is doing through the entire book of Romans. It's he's presenting this case for uh, the sole way to salvation and justification or being made right with God is by faith and faith alone. And so let's see, if we kind of review quickly, he's gone back and he's he started with the solution and he told us that justification or salvation uh, reveals the righteousness of God through the gospel. And that Paul was showing us that it is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross is what really saves someone. It's not by our own effort that we can do it. And this salvation is available to both Jew and to Gentile. And so that he sets the stage. And then he goes through and he shows us that God shows no partiality when it comes to his judgment. God hates sin. And God has revealed himself since the very beginning of creation. And that through creation, he's shown that he exists. And therefore, we know that his view from the beginning is he hates sin and he is going to judge sin. And that both Jew and Gentile will face judgment if they are living a life that is unrighteous. And the only way, as we know, as the argument continues, to be made right is through Jesus. It's not by the law. And so as Paul laid that out in chapters 1 to 3, he said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But your answer, folks, that even though you fall short of the glory of God because of sin, you can be made right through Jesus. And then in Romans chapter 4 is where he's going to pick up. And so Romans 4 and Romans 5, as we'll see in our next episode, he's going to begin to use examples of people to show and prove, like our students proved in our retreat, that in the court, 
that the only way to present your defense of salvation is to prove that justification is by faith. By the way, at the end of that retreat, all of the students, even the defendants, were all convinced that it was faith uh, by salvation, was by faith alone, and not by anything that we could do to produce uh, salvation for ourselves. It was so cool to watch these students uh, reason through the text. And I pray pray that these folks, as they did that retreat, uh, that they still understand and know those truths today because they are vital to our to our faith. All right, so Paul picks up in Rome in Romans chapter 4 and we're going to break this down into three points, three simple points about justification. And we're going to start in chapter 3 and we're going to look at uh, just a true facts about what Paul says about God. And that comes in verse 26. In verse 26, uh, he says, I say of his righteousness, of God's righteousness at the present time, so that God would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith. So the characteristics of God and the things that we need to know going into chapter 4 is that it is God and God alone who is just. Right, So we know that he is just because he hates sin. Because he hates sin, he's going to deal with sin, and judgment comes because of sin. We get what we deserve because we have fallen short of the glory of God. But he is also the one who justifies. This is huge, and, and especially huge, for those who are living according to the law. Those who are trying to be righteous according to their works, versus being saved by faith. So point number one, and this encompasses verses uh, 1 to 8, so chapter 4, 1 to 8, is that justification is by faith and it's not by works. This is the first of three contrasts in Romans 4. All right, so let's first look at the theme that runs through uh, these verses. Okay, so let me read the eight verses to you, and then we'll pull out the theme that runs through the entire uh, chapter. All right, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, uh, he has nothing to boast about, but not uh, before the Lord. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due him. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits, righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose have sin have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. All right, so there is a theme that runs through these verses 3 to 6. Uh, a theme or a key word. All right, so the key word that uh, runs through this, okay, so in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, 
And in verse 6, we see the word credited or credit. If you are uh, an ESV or uh, a KGV user, uh, the words uh, imputed or counted might be replaced with credited. All right, so in verses 3 to 6, credited is repeated over and over. And so it's also repeated through verses 8 to 11. Uh, in verses 8 to 11, it's three more times the word credited as used. And then in verses 22 to 24, uh, three times again the word credited as used. So if you look uh, and you use those marking symbols like precept encourages you to do that when you look at the page and you've got it all in front of you, you're going to see all the way through that <clears throat> the key word throughout Romans 4 is credited. There's a lot of other uh, words that are repeated. Circumcision is repeated. Justified, believe, or faith is repeated as well. And we're going to look at one more as we come into the later uh, aspects of this podcast. We'll see one more important keyword that runs through. So credited, what that means, okay, it's, it's an accounting term, but it means to put on account. All right. So what he's talking about here is this credited or put on account has a close connection to the word justified. So justification, uh, what Paul is telling us that even with Abraham, that we were when we were justified or we were made or put in right standing with God, that is credited to our account by faith and faith alone. All right. So justification means righteousness has been credited, put on our account, and it gives us right standing with God. And that's all done by faith. And he's going to now build that case that justification or right standing with God is by faith and faith alone. All right. It's important to note here because we're moving into this section on sanctification. And so I also want to define sanctification for us. And sanctification means that it is righteousness imparted, okay? It's not righteousness credited, imputed to our account. Sanctification is righteousness imparted. It's made a part of our life, all right? Because we are in right standing with God, uh, our desire now is to be made more like Christ, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And the process of being conformed to the image of Christ is what we call sanctification. So righteousness is imparted on our life. And so this sanctification, as we become more and more like Christ, uh, the process of sanctification gives us a right standing before men. It shows that through our life, as we are conformed to be more and more like Jesus, all right, that means that as sin creeps up in our life, we beat sin back and we become more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, people around us 
they see that our lives are different, that they see that there has been a change in our life, that we have been saved, that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we are now slaves to righteousness. And a part of being a slave to righteousness, uh, it shows that our lives have been changed and we're living a life that brings glory and honor to God. And because that, other people see Christ in us and they look and they see that we are Christians. Both are so vital as they are a part of being a Christian. All right, so both of these things are a massive part of salvation. First, justification, being made right with God, and then sanctification is becoming more like Jesus. It's important to note here, I want to take us to James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, because a part of this uh, James, you know, some people say that James contradicts Paul in his teaching in chapter 4. All right, so let's look at James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And the first thing, before we even get to that, is I want you to understand, because going through this Cross Canada tour, and the very fact, did God really say that? All right? So one of the attacks on Scripture is that Scripture contradicts itself. And because there are contradictions, it cannot be God. It cannot be the Word of God, but things and ideas written by men. So we can pause and we can stop right here that because of the inerrancy of Scripture, that God's Word is without error, there are no contradictions in Scripture. That God's Word is something we can count on. So let's look at James chapter 2, 14 to 26, and, and let's see how James' teaching does not contradict. So let's start with the verse that says, they say automatically, uh, that... Um, there is contradiction, okay? So, uh, contradiction uh, would be uh, chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So, does that contradict what Paul is saying, that justification is by faith? Well, let's go back and look at starting at verse 14. <clears throat> what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works, can that faith save him? That's the question. All right. So if a brother or a sister with, is without clothing and in need a daily food, and one of you says uh, to them, go in peace, be warned, uh, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, it has no works, is dead. Being by itself, uh, being by itself, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? That's another question. 
And then verse 22, you see that faith was working with his works as a result of the works, his faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see uh, that a man is justified by his works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them uh, out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And so these two passages, they don't contradict the, each other. All right. They, I, I think that James adds to it, but also Paul shows us this as well. Okay. So it, it comes down to understanding justification and sanctification. Justification, again, may, being made right with God, to be having righteousness credited to our account uh, that gives us right standing by God. That only comes through faith in Jesus Christ and what in what Jesus did on the cross. It's being justified by his blood. We're going to see this as we keep unpacking. Sanctification, all right, sanctification, righteousness imparted. Sanctification has works involved. Because as we are growing to be conformed to be more like Jesus Christ, our lives should be different. The things that we do in the outward should reflect that. We no longer are slaves to sin, therefore we don't uh, behave in the way that we used to. We now are living a life that wants to bring glory and honor to God. How can this be reflected? What are some things that we may see in the life of a person who has been made right with God? these works that we're talking about. Well, for some, it may be a difference in listening to the type of music that they used to. They no longer listen to the music that they listened to when they were not saved. Uh, their language could have changed. Maybe they had the language of a, of a, a sailor or somebody who used swear words every second word as a part of the vocabulary, but now you don't see that type of language anymore. Maybe they were someone who had an extremely critical heart and they could never find the positive in anything. And now you see a drastic difference in their actions and their behavior that they're no longer critical the way that they were. These are things that we see mindset changes, thought process changes, all of these things that show not only, you know, the Lord as he sees our heart. He sees what, what uh, Christ has done for us and our belief in him. But it's others around us that see these works that, as I've explained on other podcasts, have become a byproduct. Uh, our faith in Jesus produces actions like loving others that may not have been there before we were saved. And so we're not justified by our works as in we are made right before God by our works, but our works so prove that we have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Make sense? It doesn't contradict each other. God's word does not 
contradict. And it's so important for us to understand that. And Paul breaks that down in verses 4 and 5. He says, Now to the one who works his wage, it's not credited as a favor. All right? So if, if somebody goes out and they work their 9-to-5 job, they are going to get what is rightfully theirs. The employer is going to pay them for that work. Uh, that's not a gift. That individual has earned that money to, uh, because of what they have done. So it can't be credited to them as a favor or a gift, but it can only be credited as this is what you are owed. So Paul makes that very clear. And then we also see uh, this in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 to 9. So let me just take you to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not a results of works, so that no one may boast. And so as Paul builds out this justification by faith and not by works, he's laying out for us that if salvation were by works, then God would be paying a debt to us. That God would be paying us what we owe. All right, what we are owed. But, but that's not the case. Paul is telling us that, that salvation was a gift. It was a gift of God by faith. There was nothing that we could do to earn that salvation. You see, the Jews, they thought that God justified religious people based on their works. But Paul, as he's building this case, he proves that Abraham was saved by his faith. Uh, we also see not only does he use Abraham as the example, but if, if that wasn't enough, the father of the Jews, that he was saved by faith, uh, Paul is then going to draw off the king, the king that all Jews knew, and that was David. And he quotes Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, where David teaches justification by faith. And so uh, these are important things. Uh, you, Jewish believers, those who are trying to be made righteous by the law and by your works. No, no, justification is by faith. Let me prove it to you. Abraham justified by faith. And one who held, you held in high esteem, King David, also taught in the book of Psalms about justification by faith. In verses 7 and 8, we see Psalm 32, uh, verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those who owe lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Do you hear it again? There's, there's that, those accounting terms again. All right, so uh, justification comes by faith. And what's not going to be credited to our account is our sin. This is what David was teaching back in Psalm 32. Uh, God did not credit sin to our account. And it's important for us to make note of that and write that down because sin was charged to Jesus' account. 
Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, uh, verse twenty-one. It tells us uh, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Uh, God credits righteousness to our account. And he credits righteousness to our account and it is simply based on one thing. Are you ready for it? Oh, maybe you're saying faith. Maybe you're saying faith. Yes, faith is one of the things. But it is by God's grace. And God's grace alone that sin, that God credits righteousness to our account. Because he has been graceful and merciful to us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the ultimate payment, to take sin onto his back and carry it to the cross, to be scourged and beaten, to be crucified, to be pierced in his side, to have nails in his hands and his feet, to wear a crown of thorns on his head, to be a public humiliation for you and I to carry sin as the ultimate sacrifice, sin was credited and charged to Jesus' account, but righteousness is credited to ours, and it is by grace and grace alone that we were not crucified on the cross instead. All right, so that brings us to the, to the second point, and that is that justification is by grace, and it is not by the law. Uh, verses 9 to 17. Uh, is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Well, not while he was circumcised, by while he, but while he was uncircumcised. And he received a sign of the circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, the righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of the circumcised to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of faith. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be an heir of the world was not through the law, but it was through the righteousness of faith. For if, by, for if those who are of the law are heirs and faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him who he believed in, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So the question becomes of all of this, if justification is by faith and not by the law, what about the law? Well, Paul, he's going to walk us through the life of Abraham. 
And as he walks us through the life of Abraham, the one thing he's going to show us, and it shows us in the book of Genesis, is that Paul will show us that faith and salvation in Abraham's life took place 14 years before he was circumcised. Circumcision was the seal of the covenant. It was the right that made a Jewish child a part of the system of the law. Yet Abraham was uncircumcised when he was saved. Therefore, circumcision is an outright sign of a spiritual relationship. Uh, It's a sign of the covenant, but much like that is of baptism for us today. It's an outward showing of an inward change. It's important for us to note here that what Paul is doing with this, with this section on circumcision versus uncircumcised and where salvation and faith came is that Paul is telling us that no physical ceremony can produce a spiritual change. Let's go back into the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 15. And, and listen to the promise, because one of the key words throughout this section of the text is the word promise. And so if we follow Paul's argument, okay, so he's walked through Abraham, was justified by faith. David taught on justification by faith. And then we see uh, verse 13 of Romans chapter 4 the promise to Abraham. Verse 14, the promise is nullified. Verse 16, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants. And then down again in verse 20, uh, yet with respect to the promise. Verse 21, fully assured that what God had promised. Uh, these, this is another one of those important key words because everything here hinges on the promise of God. And so let's look at what came about in Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, to Abram in a vision. Do not fear, Abram. Uh, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great, uh, be very great. Abraham, Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, uh, to me one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man uh, will not be your heir, but the one who comes forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside And he said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Okay, so there's a couple of cool, important notes to take note here in Genesis chapter 15, just from this. All right, so Abraham, or Abram, is at the end of his rope. All right, so he's 86 years old when it comes to Genesis chapter 15. Uh, At 86 years old, he's got a legitimate concern. And his legitimate concern is there's nobody 
with my last name. There's nobody for, for me to pass down my inheritance and to keep my family line going. That's a, that's a legitimate problem. And so he's at the end. His wife is barren. She cannot have children, let alone an 86-year-old man fathering a child. <laughs> you ever been at that point at the end of your rope and, and here you have a cry out to God, what am I going to do? And God speaks to Abraham. And he says to him, the one that you think you're going to leave your inheritance to, he's not going to be your heir. You will have an heir. Now, Abraham, let, let's go outside for a minute. I, I don't know about you, but um, there have been times where we've been at our cottage and, and away from the concrete jungle of the city where there's no lights around and it's pitch black in the dark. And you look up over the lake and you see stars. You don't see one star. You see many stars. Some of our greatest memories of the cottage are during the time of meteor showers, or we see uh, these, you know, meteors skip across the sky, or shooting stars, as some might say. But looking up as a as a concrete jungle city boy, you you look and go, oh wow, look at all of the stars. And God takes Abraham out of his house. And he says, Abram, look up. I know what your greatest concern is. I know that you want an heir. He says, I am a shield to you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you, Abram. Look up. I know that you want one heir. But if you can count the stars, that's the number of descendants that I'm going to give you. <laughs> wow. Wow. Can you imagine being at the end of your rope without hope and there's nothing left for you to be able to do to have an heir? Your body is well beyond the years. Your wife cannot have a child. Nothing has happened in your entire life so far, as far as an heir. No sign, nothing. And God says, look up. And Abram looked up. And he saw the stars. And listen to what Genesis 15 verse 6 says. As he's looking to the sky, then he believed in the Lord. And it reckoned to him as righteousness. 
reckoned, credited, put on account. Now, where in this did you see Abraham doing anything else other than believing in the promise that God just gave him? Abraham, you will have an heir. Your descendants will number the stars. Wow, Abraham credited as righteous. Fourteen years later, God would make a covenant with Abraham, and he would continue that covenant. The covenant was made here, but he would continue that covenant, and as part of that covenant, he would call Abram and all his descendants to be circumcised, to be set apart for God. But it was by Abraham's faith, not by the act of circumcision, that he believed and was credited righteous. Now, how did, according to James chapter 2, did Abraham so prove that he had faith in God? Well, he took his son Isaac up the mountain, laid him on an altar, and was ready to sacrifice his son so proving his faith. We learn that through scriptures that Abraham believed that God could bring Isaac back to life. We see that Abraham believed that God would provide a sacrifice because God promised that he would have an heir in Genesis 15. By that faith, why would God remove Isaac after he was promised? Taking Isaac up to the altar was a test to see, so prove Abraham's faith was genuine. It wasn't what gave him faith. Circumcision wasn't what gave him salvation. They were just outward signs of inward change. Listen to what Paul continues in chapter 4 as he talks about where does the law fit in. Uh, for the promise to Abraham and to his descendants is that he would have an heir was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Uh, for if it would by the law, uh, who are of heirs of the faith, faith is, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. So if everything was done by works, and I had to do my work, to bring about salvation, the promise that God gave Genesis 15 nullified. Verse 15 tells us the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there's no violation. Where does the law fit in? Law shows us our sin. Law shows us that we don't, what it takes to stand before a holy God. It shows us the violations in which we could never stand before a holy God, because of our sin. Verse 16, a term of conclusion, for this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace. Justification is by grace through faith, and it is available to both Jew and to Gentile. 
Let's look at the last one before we run out of time. Uh, justification is by the resurrection power and not by anything we can do. Verses 18 to 25. Uh, in hope against hope, he believes so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also credit to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only, as it was written, that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He who has delivered over because of our transgression was raised because of our justification. All right, so what's Paul telling us here? Okay, so we've had three contrasts. Let's just review the three contrasts. We're bringing up the third now. The first contrast is faith against works. The second is law against grace. And now the third contrast is life against death. As mentioned with Abraham and Sarah, they were dead in the flesh. What people do you know in their 90s, and Abraham was a hundred, who could ever imagine having a child, a brand new baby? It's impossible to think about that. We, we wouldn't even contemplate that now. A 90-year-old woman uh, who was barren and a 100-year-old man raising a newborn baby. We would not see anything like that in our time. But when Abraham was at his worst, at the end of the rope, he prayed. He talked to God, what am I going to do about this heir? And what we see is that by faith and the promise that was laid out to him, what did God do? God brought dead flesh to life. God brought Isaac through Sarah, who was barren and in her 90s, and Abraham, who was 100. So when the flesh is dead, the resurrection power of God goes to work. The text tells us that Abraham did not waver in his faith. He held on to the promise, the promises of Genesis 15 that he would have an heir. It says that he didn't waver in his flesh, but he grew stronger in faith and gave glory to God. We can wrap this back into our own application as we wrap up with one scholar wrote this, and I thought it was so profound as I read this in preparation this week. The scholar wrote, as long as people depend on the flesh and feel they still have enough strength to please God, they'll never be justified. But when we come to the end of ourselves and admit we are dead, and cease to strive in our own efforts, then God is able to raise us from the dead and give us life and give us perfect standing before him. 
Let me just read that to you again so that you can allow that to sink in. As long as people depend on the flesh and feel they still have enough strength to please God, they'll never be justified. But when we come to the end of ourselves and admit we are dead and cease to strive in our own efforts, then God is able to raise us from the dead and give us new life and perfect standing before him. Let me just wrap you around to the culture that we are in today. We are in a world right now where people talk about uh, the behaviors of the past. We have people that are trying to erase history. Uh, in the United States, we see statues of people being rene- removed because of the way that uh, others are treated. I saw one comedian in an interview say, it's impossible to erase history, but we must learn from our history. But now in order for us to feel good, we're striving in our own efforts with people even talking about those who were never ever a part of the slave market. Those generations and generations past should pay reparations to make things right for for today so that they can feel good about themselves inside. And the reality is that no real social justice movement of that kind is going to make people feel okay and justified in the world. You see, each and every one of us, according to Romans chapter 3, we're all dead. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sin. Because we have sin, we are headed for the wrath of God. And there is nothing that we can do in our own strength that will ever justify us before God. It's only by faith that we are justified. It's only by faith that we are going to make right with the one who is the most important and the most vital to be made right with. And that is God. When we are not in right standing with God, we're dead. Dead man walking. We're destined for the wrath of God and to spend eternity in torment. Verse 25 Uh, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. This best can be read and translated in this way. Jesus was delivered because of our offenses, because of our sin. And he was raised on the account of our justification. He died because we are sinners. The very fact that God raised Jesus from the dead proves that when we believe in what happened at Calvary, when we believe in Christ's death and resurrection, we are justified by his blood in his blood alone. Folks, to wrap this up, for, for us to be able to share this with other people, for them to understand in a world that is teaching that we must do something to be justified. Justification is by the resurrection power of God 
and not by our own human efforts. We can strive to do nothing to be justified before God. Paul closes his case and he tells us the only way to be justified is to be like the father Abraham who was justified by hanging on to the promise. The same is for you and I. The promise is that if we believe in Christ's death and resurrection, we will be saved, we will be right before God, and we will have eternal life. There's nothing we can do but hang on to the promise like Abraham did. So what do we do with all this? We go forth and we share these truths with those who are in the world. Those who are trying to justify their faith by their works. We are justified by faith, but our works so prove that we are saved. So when we are justified by faith, our job is to now go out and share the truth with others, to disciple others in the word of God so that their faith too hangs on by the promise. Father, we do thank you for this time that you have given us today. Thank you for the truths of Romans chapter 4. Lord, I pray that these truths would again sink into our hearts that we would be able to share these truths with others to help them understand that uh, we are saved simply by faith. That there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right before you. And Lord, we are thankful for the gift that comes by grace and grace alone. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name we pray. We appreciate you in joining us in this series of Unlocking the Truth with Preset Ministries Canada. Visit our website presetministries.ca to find in-person and online studies and workshops that will further your journey in His Word and give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently. <laughs>